This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to Books and Critical Theory. I'm your host, Dr. David O'Brien. On this episode, I'm talking to Dr. David Beer from the University of York about metric power. Welcome to Books and Critical Theory. On this episode, I'm talking to Dr. David Beer, who is from the University of York, about his new book, Metric Power, uh, which was published this year by Paul. Welcome to Books and Critical Theory. I'm your host, Dr. David O'Brien. On this episode, I'm talking to Dr. David Beer from the University of York about metric power. Welcome to Books and Critical Theory. On this episode, I'm talking to Dr. David Beer, who is from the University of York, about his new book, Metric Power, uh, which was published this year by Palgrave Macmillan. So welcome to the podcast. Hello, Dave. Hello. Yeah, it, 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 it's great to have you on. And um, I mean, you know, every academic book is interesting and important and fascinating. But this one is, I think, particularly well-timed. Because um, it really tries to engage with the way higher education is um, being organised at the moment, and then by extension, the way society is being organised at the moment. And one of the routes, kind of into uh, thinking about metric power, might be to kick off with um, just to hear a little bit about where the kind of the kind of ideas for the book have come from, and where um, thinking about metrics fits in with your thoughts more broadly. Yeah, um, well, it's sort of, I suppose it came out of the previous book, which you kindly interviewed me about at the time, the uh, Popular Culture and New Media book, which is about data circulations. It came out of that uh, initially. And then I, uh, following that, I wrote a piece about football and use of data in football. Um, and it got me thinking about uh, metrics and the role of measurement and metrics in everyday life, really. And um, once I came sensitized to that, what I sort of noticed that there was um, that metrics were being used to kind of order and govern um, and in lots of different ways. So there was um, sort of in in consumer culture, uh, there was stuff around like workplace metrics and performance metrics. A lot of those kind of things are around at the time. And I was noticing those. There was the the launch of things like uh, the Fitbit and other wearable technologies, so people were measuring their bodies in new ways. And there was obviously like you'd carried on with the the development of kind of smartphone apps and those sorts of things. People were using those to measure themselves in lots of different ways. So it just seemed to me that there was this like rise of a kind of role of metrics in in the ordering of everyday life on lots of different fronts. So I thought, I wonder if there's a way of trying to write something that responded to this what looked like kind of emerging ongoing set of developments around the role of metrics 
Um, and trying to think, is there a way of approaching that that I could try to think of it uh, through a particular lens or try to develop some sort of analytical frameworks, conceptual ideas that would allow us to think about this rise of metrics in the everyday uh, and in organizations and this sort of thing. So that was kind of the where the book came from then. Um, I was supposed to be writing a book about um, George Zimmel and uh, I <laughs> uh, and, and uh, ended up abandoning that because I was asked to give a presentation and I gave the presentation on metrics and and then that kind of spiraled. It was supposed to be a paper and it just kept more material just kept coming along. And then I thought perhaps I was onto something in terms of what some sort of social development. And then it just eventually kind of turned into a an 80,000 word book. So that's the, that was the story behind it, I suppose. I mean, it, it's dead interesting, you, you know, you kind of set out, I suppose that, um, you know, almost kind of social context that demanded, uh, a response in terms of lots of, of kind of possible case studies and, yeah. and lots of new papers. Um, yeah. And I suppose the response clusters around this, this concept or this, you know, kind of um, big idea that the book um, interrogates and unfolds, which is metric power. So I, I suppose it'd be yeah. good to kind of know a bit about what is this thing, metric power, yeah. what, what are we talking about here? Yeah. Well, I suppose I'm, and it, I wanted to kind of think about the political dynamics behind like big data and stuff like that. But I was interested in thinking how power is being deployed through metrics. That's kind of the, the central question that the book looks at is how metrics are involved, complicit part of power structures. So how power is kind of deployed through those metrics was something that I was sort of really was a question I was trying to set myself really. Um, I don't know, I've not really fully answered it because it's an ambitious question, I suppose, but it was like that was what I wanted to try to get at. So I, uh, as part of that, I ended up with a sort of three-part analytical framework that I was using to organise my thinking around it. So I, I thought when I was thinking about how power works for metrics, I was thinking there's probably like three sort of stages to that. So I, I, And the book reflects that so it's about measurement circulation and possibility because i thought that the, on the one hand you've got the way met, the, the metrics are created so you're measuring things but then to understand them sociologically you need to think about how those metrics then circulate in uneven and differential ways through the social world so how they kind of circulate through social structures organizations and the like to find their way into the everyday and how some some metrics achieve prominence over others and then uh, the final stage of the process was to think about possibility. So it was how circulating metrics shape what is possible or what is seen to be possible. So I took that as a framework for understanding how power works through metrics and try to analyze those in the book. And what I end up with then is um, a vision of how power works through metrics in the conclusion of the book um, in kind of six ways. I can go through those now if you want, Dave. Or uh, yeah, I mean that that was going to be my sort of uh, final yeah. question, actually. But yeah, oh, I mean th- they were really interesting about you know I've got a little list of you know limits, visibility, sorting, judgment, spread, justification, yeah. agency, these kind of things. So that would be yeah. quite a good way of uh, unfolding the meaning of metric power. Yes, 
Um, well, there's, there's a series of those things that I was trying to think through, but it, it, it took me towards this. What I, what I found was that there's kind of one of the arguments I got from Foucault is this kind of idea of a kind of centrifugal sort of power that sort of spreads outwards. It's like constantly trying to push back the boundaries of of its reach. Um, so that was that was kind of one of the key observations, really. But what I, what I noticed was that there was a series of ways in which that was happening. So it was the way that metrics were used to, to uh, create limits or parameters on social life. So creating these sort of boundaries that people operated within. And then you, alongside that, you had this, you had the way that metrics made things either visible or invisible and a quite complicated set of relations around visibility and invisibility that were sometimes to make things visible was to empower and sometimes it was to disempower and the same with invisibility. So I thought there's a metrics played a central part in that in the way that they make, they make things visible or invisible. And I thought um, the third thing I found was this kind of this, the way that metrics are, in, are, are sort of involved in the, in ordering and sorting and categorizing the social world in different ways or enabling the world to be categorized and to be sorted in new ways to create new possibilities for sorting and creating categories that people are put into. Um, and then uh, the other thing is kind of split off from that. The, the other features I found in metric power kind of split away from that. Um, but the, the, the metrics are used to kind of prefigure judgments. So what they do is metrics produce uh, desired outcomes or desired aims. So you're not just, not just calculations about this. They are, uh, as Wendy Esplanade described it, as kind of deeds. Uh, deeds, the things that are done to us, metrics are. Because in within them, they have these like desired aims and outcomes. And then part of the strength of it was the sort of fifth thing I found, which is to do with the way that they um, they reinforce their own logic. So part of the way that this kind of centrifugal spread works is that metrics reinforce the things that metrics find. So they reinforce their own value. Um, and the final thing that that led to then was decided that what metrics do then is they kind of authenticate and justify certain types of behaviors, certain actions, certain, certain practices become authenticated or legitimized or justified by the metrics that uh, are acting upon us. So kind of in a nutshell, that's the kind of six features of, of metric power that I found or six ways that metric metrics operate Um in the deployment of power. And they don't uh, sort of operate, uh, I guess, kind of, you know, alone or free-floating. They operate against a particular context. And, and, and one of the, you know, the kind of really key elements there is competition and how those characteristics yeah. of metrics are, you know, really kind of embedded mm-hmm. and enabled by, uh, by a context of competition. Yeah. I think that, that that's one of the key things I was trying to work out, work through in the, in the opening of the book, is the relationship between metrics and competition. And what you can see when, um, the, you know, there are a lot of debates, as I was writing it, around uh, the spread of kind of market-based models throughout the social world as a way of organising the social world, uh, with competition being central to those, those, those structures. Uh, and it seemed to me that to understand those competitions, you need to understand metrics because the metrics were the mechanisms for those competitions to take place. They that differentiated the winners from the losers within those competitions and within those hierarchies that were that were formed or or being maintained. So understanding metrics seemed important to me to understand what was going on 
in that spread of competition as a as a way of organising the world. So I was trying to trying to get at that and trying to think about the relationship between this sort of underpinning rationality of the import of competition as being a way of organising things, and the types of metrics that were being used both to facilitate those competitions, but also as a way of justifying the spread of those competitions in different sectors. So this spread of this model of the market outwards into lots of different sectors was being facilitated by this presence of metrics. New types of metrics were allowing those competitions to, to that competition to spread. It wasn't just, you know, partly cultural, partly technological transformations there that were um, working together. So I was trying to understand this relationship between competition and metrics as being the contextual framing, yeah, for the for, for metric power. And that also explains something about how you've got this escalation, the intensification, it seemed to me, and scale um, of metrics in the everyday. And this kind of, um, I guess, kind of, you know, background is is embedded in quite well, a term that's been, you know, uh, quite controversial on, on social media over the last couple of months, this idea of a kind of neoliberal context. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, is, is sort of partially important um, to the book. Um, but also is, um, I guess, kind of, you know, something that um, is bound up with people like Foucault and then uh, yes. this kind of broader discussion of, of yeah. competition. And it'd be interesting to know a little bit about how you use, I guess, kind of yeah. neoliberal as a yeah. as a context before we turn to think about yeah. um, the, I guess, practical application of metrics. Yeah. So I suppose the, the book tries to keep a little bit of critical distance from the from the concept of neoliberalism, but uses it in some of the ways that uh, people like Jamie Peck or Stuart Hall kind of used it, used it as a, and Will Davis um, and Wendy Brown in particular, I think, uh, as a kind of uh, concept that can be used to think critically about what's going on. So it's not that it's an answer to a question, neoliberalism. It kind of presents you with a a concept that allows you to think through some of the connections. So what what I want what I use the concept for is to try to think about the underpinning rationalities that might explain why metrics are being used so widely to organize and order things. Because there's a certain push towards metrics that isn't unique to a particular sector or a particular part of the everyday. So that led me to think that there must be some sort of rationality going on that is underpinning these sets of developments that um, that's leading um, leading this spread of metrics across so many different spheres of the social world. It seemed to me. So neoliberalism was a useful concept for thinking about some of the connections that we might be observing, uh, rather than an answer to any question. It, it just opened up, you know, what sort of people calls a how of the how of power a little bit more, I think. And it allowed me to explore the idea that there might be some sort of underpinning rationality. Whether it is neoliberalism or not, I don't know, but there's definitely some sort of attachment to understanding competition as being a a powerful way of ordering and organising what's going on. If that's the kind of the background of the um, competition, ordering and organising, then we've got to kind of populate this, I guess, with you know, with individuals as well as with the metric systems they kind of confront. Yeah. The kind of Foucauldian moves you make quite early in the book is this sense of, of people being kind of made up um, mm. by uh, by metrics, along with actually various other things like you know social institutions as well. Yeah. 
Um, and it'd be interesting to kind of unpack that, uh, I guess, that kind of making yeah. up, particularly the relationship with um, Ajana's governing through biometrics, um, which is, yeah. you know, quite influential in that um, in that conception. Yeah. Yeah, it was. That was influent. That book really influenced what I was doing, I think, the governing through biometrics book. Because um, it just allowed me to think through, it was like an early attempt to think through the role of something like biometrics, which takes it down to the level of the body quite quickly and allows you to think of those in those terms. But the, the kind of the influence of Foucault there that you mentioned is to do with, I think, the the, the idea that metrics produce truths, um, which was one of the things that I really tried to get to grips with in the book or tried to think about in the book was that step that You've got this idea that measures produce norms, so they allow new types of norms to be created or cemented, existing norms to be cemented, because the measures give us a kind of benchmark for norm generation or for really kind of reifying or cementing norms against which people can be judged. That seemed really important on one side. But on the other side, there was this idea that metrics produce kind of truths about us. And this is where it doesn't matter how accurate or inaccurate the metrics are, they still produce truths that circulate into the social world and that limit what's possible and how we are judged and those types of things. So they were really crucial steps. I mean, I think uh, similarly, uh, Bitya Ajajana's book on uh, uh, that you mentioned there, the Governing Through Biometrics book, I think also takes that as a, as a crucial step, uh, as I read it anyway. I, I wrote a review of that for, for a journal when I was working on the book and it became particularly influential as a position I also interviewed uh, Bitash about about her work on metrics to try to get to, to grips with some of the questions and what, what's interesting about her book is that she tells a story of the kind of intensification of biometrics so intensification of measures of the body and how that's developed over time and shows how they've intensified. So it gave, me, it gave me a platform for thinking about the kind of intensification of measure and what that intensification means if these measures are producing and cementing norms and creating truths about us that circulate into the social world. So they were, that was the relationship between those things. And then how do, how do metrics kind of, I guess we, we'd use the term circulate, you know, you, you talk... <laughs> Um, a lot about the idea that you know metrics end up having a kind of like a social life of methods and of data um, yeah and that their circulation is really important to the kind of capitalism we have at the moment mm. yeah well i thought what what's interesting is there are lots of metrics out there but some of them find a home or get purchased and others don't and um, so i thought in order to understand that we need to think about how things circulate into the world because it, it's the it's the metrics that find a that find a way of taking a hold that find a platform that find visibility that have more traction than the ones that don't. So I thought in even even amongst metrics, not all metrics are the same. You know, not all metrics are equal. Um, I think as I sort of develop an argument in the book, some are more prominent than others, or some have more power and more purchase than others. So that seemed to me to be important to try to think about the way things circulate. Now, that I found that chapter the most difficult to write because I, I was struggling to find resources or, way, or ways of um, visualising or um, capturing those circulations as they unfolded. 
So I tried to conceptualize it using a series of different resources about those notions of the social life of, of data, trying to understand how things develop their own kind of social life once they're produced. The social life of methods, trying to think about the way that methods are deployed in different social sectors, but also trying to pull in some other kind of work on on uh, uh, political encounters with circulation, such as Jody Dean's work or Philip Murawski's work on, on, on social media, to try to think about the way uh, these metrics circulate or allow other kind of things to circulate. So metrics kind of are both circulating themselves, but also facilitating the circulation of of all the content. So that seemed quite quite difficult to get to grips with. So it, it leads me toward it led me towards trying to understand the infrastructure in terms of Frank Pasquale's work on uh, black box society and um, various other uh, resources um, connected to that that try to think about the infrastructural properties of these me- these metric based systems and how those metrics find a home. Now, of course, in different social spheres, that can be quite different. The infrastructure is going to operate in different ways. So I used um, Donald McKenzie's work to sort of inside the inside the data infrastructures, you know, data warehouses, to, the way it gives a kind of description of the materiality of those spaces, to think about them as being material circulations as well. Um, and that was kind of where that chapter led me to, to try to think about the the, the uneven circulation of metrics and to produce sort of conceptual terminology for thinking about how we understand those circulations. What I was unable to do, I think, um, is to uh, produce many insights, I think, into the or empirical insights into the actual circulation of those metrics within the systems themselves, which is something I'd like to have done but didn't feel I was able to do in the book and something I've thought about trying to revisit in the work that I'm doing at the moment. Yeah, I guess that's, you know, a big detailed empirical project on the one hand, but also runs into, you know, the kinds of um, proprietary yeah. or closed systems that allow capitalism to be communicative. Right. You know, yeah. like Google make money from their algorithm. They probably yeah. aren't going to hand it over to interested researchers without, you know, um, Without a fight, I guess. I thought probably what's going on here is um, comparable with the idea of splintering urbanism from Graham and Marvin, in that these systems are so, uh, there's so many agendas and so many people invested and organisations involved in these different metric-based systems that act upon an individual, that you've got something close to the idea of a kind of splintering urban space where you've got lots of kind of utility providers, various other things, meaning that no one fully understands how that space operates. You've got something, system with the, something similar with these metric-based systems, and some of the, the kind of algorithmic things that have happened in the last couple of years indicate this kind of splintering of the... Uh, media and data infrastructures in which we live, where you can get like a flash crash or of the pound or whatever else it might be, and no one can explain it because no one fully understands all the different algorithmic systems that are operating within that within that maze on scene. But this also takes place against the backdrop of much more, I guess, kind of traditional social issues. So you know, on the one hand, we have the kind of you know the exceeding or the ever growing complexity of um, metric circulation but then we have a backdrop of fairly old school kind of social inequalities um, that you know dictate both you know who is given value who is given worth 
what's considered to be kind of worthwhile. And, and that kind of moment of bringing inequality back in, I, I think, is really crucial to the book's um, argument, yeah. you know, to take it beyond just a, a kind of um, essay in technology. No, I mean, that's, I, I wanted it to be political. Um, so I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad you sort of raised that, Dave. That, that was important to me, was trying to go beyond those circulations to think about the question of possibility. Um, and one of the one of the questions there really is about how we understand the possibilities that circulating metrics create for people. Um, and it seemed to me that there was some that you know that you can understand this in relation to work on inequalities. That metrics have become part of how those inequalities are maintained or justified within within social structures. So I, I try to link that in the book to, you know, some of the, the material on abjection and social class and these types of things uh, to think about how metrics um, are used in those, in, within those inequalities or to maintain and justify those, uh, those injustices. Um, and this takes us back to some of that idea that you can use metrics to justify who's a winner and who's a loser in these setups. And that seems to me kind of one of the ways that this is happening, that it, it's used to justify social prejudices and inequalities. So it seems to me that when, if you're understanding metrics, you do need, as you say, to understand them in relationship to the kind of inequalities that they afford and that they make possible. I suppose so far we've kind of given, you know, a sort of social structural account of metrics. Yeah. And Maybe we might draw to a close with, with kind of two questions about yeah. agency and, you know, the kind of Foucauldian lineage of uh, the book sits within the kind of classic critique about uh, yeah. these kinds of, of modes of thinking is like, but where are the people, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. you know, kind of individuals, even if they're produced, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah. it'd be interesting yeah. to hear as, you know, as you do when you talk through the kind of themes underpinning metric power in, in chapter five, yeah. where agency fits in, where the kind yeah. of, you know, the question of agency is is left really in this yeah. world of metrics and data producing our, our sense of work and society and self. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's a, it's a really important question to try to understand. I suppose and um, the when you got you got metrics acting on people. I mean, some of the, the there's some important arguments I think that have been made um, in relationship to this. I mean, Wendy Esplin's work I found particularly instructive. So the concept of reactivity. Um, I engage with that, the idea that people react to those metrics in different ways and they try to find ways of gaming those metrics or to play in them. They play, they, they play along with them in some instances or against them, find spaces of resistance. These kinds of things are, are kind of try to engage with those in the book. I did want it to feel like um, I wanted to feel the weight of metric power in the book though, at the same time. So the, the relationship with agency is that metric powers, as I depict it, is actually quite difficult to escape from its reach. And I, I, I try at one point to try in the conclusion to think about how we can resist or react against metric power, sort of anchor. And but it's, it's actually I actually found it a really quite tough um, question to answer to, to try to reinsert agency. I start to think actually it's quite quite difficult to do and I think maybe I, you may be able to, maybe because I'd overstated the weight of metric power and it's kind of inescapable reach um, 
And some of the, you know, uh, I described kind of a job I had before I returned to university to do a, a PhD and, and how metric power operated on me in that space. I kind of opened the book with that. Um, so maybe I, I was feeling it in a particular way. But it was one of the reasons I wrote the um, uh, the uh, CODA chapter at the end after the conclusion because I, was, I wasn't satisfied with the the relationship between metric power and agency and the question, the exact question that you've asked me there, Dave. I was trying to think that through. So I included a CODA chapter that tried to look at the question of agency and to think about how metric power operates on individual agency. Um, and that was when I, so I sort of tried to think about how metrics make us feel. Um, and it's, and that opened up a whole new set of questions inadvertently for me, um, which was to do with the, the idea that the power of metrics is exactly in how they make us feel. So the way that they produce anxiety before we're measured is as powerful as any measures that we're exposed to. So because we start to anticipate and we feel it physically. So I, I gave some examples of kind of um, uh, uh, the way that uh, teachers feel when their uh, school inspections are going on, you know, or they're being graded, um, that SATs are happening, you know, these sorts of things, which is kind of an inadvertent metric measure of, of teaching quality and the way it's presented. It isn't in reality, of course, but that's the way that people are made to feel. So, and, it, and, and the description was kind of affective. It was, uh, you know, the kind of, I think one of the phrases, the kind of gut-wrenching feeling of being measured by these systems, so I tried to, I wrote a chapter then that was about the kind of affective um, uh, power of metrics and that to understand agency, we perhaps need to understand this affective way in which measure, m- metrics operate upon us. So it's about the how metrics make us feel, the kind of anxiety, uncertainty and sense of constant precarity that those measures often provoke within people. Um, as a way of bringing agency back into the arguments in a way that it could have been absent if we'd just been looking at the weight of, of metric power. So it, it's trying to understand the entanglements, I think, there between the individual and the metrics to think about how you, how they might react, how they might respond, how they might resist, or how they might come to live with those forms of power and the kind of emotional and bodily responses that people have to both being measured or um, how they might be measured or the, what the outcomes of the measures might be in the future as well as what they actually are. So that was where I tried to bring agency back in by thinking about that kind of effective entanglement between the body, our emotions and our, uh, um, our everyday experiences of metric power and being exposed to metric power. I mean, I see the book as a kind of, agenda setting document you know and attempt yeah. to kind of theorize and bring together a lot of different literatures with you know this kind of one core concern and i guess is that is yeah. that where you're going to go next you know i mean you, you sort of alluded to um yeah. you know, maybe some empirical work uh you know kind of getting into the yeah. theorization of metric power or the long lost simul book are you, you going to go back to that? <laughs> that might happen one day um yeah, there's, well, there's a few different things I thought about afterwards because one of the things I wanted to pursue was this idea of how the metrics make us feel um, because I did want to, as you say, the book tries to draw out 
and an agenda for working metrics. Um, but it didn't really go. That's my phone. <laughs> but it didn't. It didn't. Uh, it didn't look beyond that very much. I don't think. So that it uses cases and illustrations and things like that. Um, but I thought it needed to uh, be developed in different ways. The agenda that I set out. So I, I wasn't able to do all of that in the book. But I, I did think that there's a possibility there to, for something on how metrics make us feel. So that's something I've still got on my agenda that I hope to do. But I think that would require some funding to do properly. Um, and I've, there's a couple of other networks I've been involved with for work uh, around this, and you know, like collaborations with, particularly with uh, Helen Kennedy at Sheffield, hoping to do some further work with her, and we've we've, we've developed a, a, a project that hopefully we'll um, we'll be able to do uh, together, and with a number of other people around around this agenda that does exactly look at. Uh, uh, the experience of living with data and living with metrics more directly. But the project I'm doing at the moment is about the uh, data analytics industry. Um, and I've, I've looked at, I'm trying to look at the kind of industry itself, what it does, how it works. Foucault's inspired this one as well, but in a different way. Um, one of my colleagues, Daryl Martin, after I presented something, said to me, this reminds me of the birth of the clinic. And um, I've ended up taking inspiration from that and um, using the birth of the clinic for, uh, as a kind of model for thinking about the data analytics industry and the kind of analytical spaces and how um, what I'm calling the data gaze is authenticated within that industry and within the, um, the infrastructures and the practices that go on within it. Thanks for listening to New Books in Critical Theory. In this episode, I was discussing Metric Power, a new book from David Beer from the University of York, which is published by Palgrave Macmillan 